the title of the message today, I don't know if you've noticed in the bulletin, is a play off an axiom of the United States Marine Corps. Uh, maybe you've seen it at different times in different places. I, I've seen it emblazoned across the long black side of a semi-trailer underneath an, an image of what is now a, a ceremonial saber. And the words are earned, never given. That's a, an admirable standard and maxim for a branch of our armed services. You could, and, and probably we should, apply that same standard in many other parts of our existence. We might generalize it and make it a kind of proverb out of it by saying any time that you can earn something worth having, uh, you ought to earn it. There's even an echo of it in our saying, you get out of life what you put into it. Past generations have recognized the value of hard work. Uh, they understood that it was a key to having the American dream. And then, too, we can see the deleterious uh, effects on those people who've learned to work the system, those ones who would rather collect welfare than hold a job even though they're able to work. And that kind of attitude destroys character and impoverishes family and weakens a nation. It's an entirely different thing, of course, when, uh, when you compare that way of life to those who are really in need and have no other way to make it through life. And people who are in need and receive help and are grateful for it, right, they're strengthened in their character and uh, they're a joy to their family and they give back to society in other ways. And that ought to help us to understand our adage that we've devised a little bit better. We said whenever you can earn it, you should. But the truth is you can't always do it. Some things simply have to be received. Sometimes there are things, of course, that are out of your control, which puts you in a place where you need help or you can't provide for yourself. And we could multiply examples of those kinds of things. There are temporary things such as an illness you'll recover from or a setback caused by a, a job loss. And then there are permanent things uh, like an injury or an illness which incapacitates you. If it weren't for those things, well, you could, but there they are, so you need help. Uh, you must be on the receiving end. And yet even that doesn't tell the whole story. See, there are some things important things, vital things, things which enrich your life, uh, which you can never earn. They just aren't of that type. If you're ever to have them, you must simply receive them like a gift. For instance, you can't earn a birthday present, can you? <laughs> Not for someone who really loves you anyway. To offer to pay for it would... Uh, would be an insult to the giver, and, and it would reveal something that was amiss in your own soul. I mean, you can earn respect, but not love. Love has to be freely given for it to be love and freely received. I mean, if you're loving, people are more likely to return uh, that love, to respond in kind, but you're not earning anything there. You're giving. It, it, it's the nature of some things that they cannot be earned. 
And so this life we live teaches us if we're aware and awake, there are some things about which we must say, given, never earned. Some of those things are beyond our ability to uh, earn. We simply cannot do it. Some of them, by nature, can only be received from the hand of the giver. Well, our text today deals with one of those things, actually the most important thing in life, something which must be given and never earned, something we must receive from the hand of the giver if we are to have it at all. It's something we cannot earn, yet I, I think it's also something which by its very nature can only be received. And so I'd like you to join me as we continue in our study in the book of Romans to join me in chapter 3, where we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 24. And of course, we'll have them on the screen on either side of me. Now, as a reminder, and to put our text into its context, we, we recall that one of the things that Paul addresses in this letter is a kind of division between the Jew and the Gentile. Uh, it's a topic that he uh, talks about throughout the writing. And in the previous section, we noted that Paul said the primary advantage that the Jews had, which brought with it other good things, is that they had the word of God. And in verse 9, Paul comes back to that thought and puts that into perspective by asking two rhetorical questions and then answering them. And so we read in verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Do we, and Paul as a Jew is including himself there here, do we have any advantage? Now I have to stop right there <laughs> uh, before I can read Paul's answer to you. I have to tell you that I think that the new NIV uh, in my thinking, uh, has made a rather unfortunate uh, translation choice here. You see, Paul's already said that the Jews do have some advantages. And here in this text, this verse here, verse 9, the, the word here is not about advantages. It, it asks really a different question. It asks, are we any better? Not do we have advantage, but are we any better? Uh, that is, are we morally superior? So what I want to do now is I want to read it the way the old NIV and other translations put it. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So the Jews may have had many advantages, all of which came from having the word of God, but they were no better than anyone else. Everyone was in the same Boat, and the boat was sinking because of sin. But this isn't just true of those people way back then. It's true of us today. We're in that same boat, and we're going down with the ship because of sin. No matter what advantages we might have had in our life, whether a good family, a good upbringing, church as part of our lives from our earliest memories, financial success, a good standing in society, none of those things, or a thousand other things that you might think of makes you or me better than the Jew or Gentile whom 
Paul is writing to. We are all alike. We are all under sin. We're under its power and under its condemnation. Now, I have to tell you, this is not always an easy concept for people to grasp. I mean, we can look around us and we can see people that are so much worse than we are. I I mean, we're not quite so quick to to note those who are, in some ways, seem better. And when we do notice them, (laughs) we usually attribute it to some advantage they have that we don't have. See, our human tendency is to excuse our sin. Either I think it's really not so bad after all, or shifting the blame to some imagined culprit. I know you've heard the saying, the devil made me do it. Or maybe they say, if that person had not done such and such, or if they'd had done this other thing, I wouldn't have reacted the way I did. Or if those other things would somehow have been different in some other ways, why, I wouldn't have behaved the way I did. We are, really, we are geniuses when it comes to excusing ourselves. Now, that is at least part of the reason why Paul goes on to quote in verses 10 through 18 numerous passages from the Old Testament, which he strings together like so many pearls, most of them from the Psalms, but also from Ecclesiastes and Isaiah, which paint a really devastating picture of the heart of humankind. Uh, The passages cited um, specifically address humankind or they're readily applied in that way. And and you can see them up on the screen uh, on either side of me. You can read them in your Bible. What I want to do this morning is simply I want to summarize what they say. This is what it says. No one is righteous, not even one. No one has understanding. No one seeks God. All have turned away. All are worthless. No one does good, not even one. Humankind's mouth, which is a reflection of what's in their heart, is death, a continual deceit, an infectious poison, a cursing of others, and bitterness. They are murderers, and they cause misery. They don't know the way of peace, and they don't fear God. Now, you want to know something? That's pretty bad stuff, don't you think? That's the assessment of heaven on the human condition. Now, we don't, do we, all behave as badly as this. Not always, anyway. And there are some sins, if we're honest, there are some sins we're not inclined to, while other people struggle with those very things. Yet not committing those things... That's no credit to us. We just aren't tempted in that way. But there are plenty of other things we do struggle with, and we fail at almost as often as we face them. No one, as bad as some are, no one is as bad as they could be. See, what those passages that Paul quoted show us is a kind of thing which is in the heart of every human being. And left unchecked, this is what spills out of us. Evil is fissiparous. It, it, it multiplies unbridled. It grows like a cancer that consumes the soul. 
uh, we, we, we bleed a, to a death that we somehow never arrive to because of sin and evil in our lives. You see, the truth is we're not good people who sometimes do bad things. Rather, we're sinners. And while not everything we do is bad, we are marred in every single part of our being. And so we need something, something outside of ourselves if we're to have any hope, something we can't earn, something which must be given if we're to have it. Verse 19 summarizes our position, and verse 20 tells us our dilemma. We read in 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world accountable to God. The first part of that verse, Paul is not saying the law does not in some way apply to those who didn't have it. He's already said it's written on their hearts. Rather, he's making the point that those who do have it are responsible for it. But the condition is the same for all. We have no excuse That's what it means when it says that every mouth is silenced and we are all guilty before God. And our dilemma is stated in verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see, the best thing that the law can do is make you aware of your sin. But you cannot keep it, not completely, not as it was intended. No one ever has except Jesus Christ. The rest of us have failed, utterly failed. We have no excuse, and we are guilty before God. Please understand this. The breaking of one law one time breaks us, defeats us, slays us utterly, and completely. Now, if I didn't have anything else to say to you today, you might well think, and I would likely agree with you, I should have said nothing at all. Even though what I said here is true, we would wonder what purpose could it serve to say it. All it does is depress. It's nothing but bad news. But there is more, however. There is this bad news. But then there's the good news, which Paul has been leading up to all this time, and which I've been leading up to also. Uh, You see, though, we cannot make ourselves righteous. We cannot earn a right standing before God. God has made a way. He offers as a, as a free gift that right standing before him. He offers us salvation. Verse 21 pivots to it when we read, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, that is the righteousness of God's own making, has been made known or revealed or manifested to which the law and the prophets testify. See, what's been revealed here in the New Testament was always contained in the Old Testament. The blossom was always in the seed. The entire Bible has been moving towards this revealing of a right standing before God that's not of our own making, but of God's own doing. 
in verse 22 tells us how it becomes ours. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between them and us. No difference between us and anyone else. This right standing before God, which is of his making, not our doing, is given to all who believe, specifically to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's offered to all because all need it, as verse 22 states, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And verse 24 concludes, and all, all those who have put their trust in Christ, are justified. That is, they're made right with God, freely by his grace. I mean, it's God's free gift of unmerited favor through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That redemption is what Christ accomplished on that cross when he died in our place to pay for our sins. I mean, you cannot earn that. It's beyond what you and I can do. Paul says in another place that if our righteousness could have come through keeping a law, then that is certainly how it would have come. But we can't do it. (laughs) We can't keep the law. We've already failed. We can't stop sinning, no matter how hard we might try. We can't undo any of our sins. We just can't do it. But our salvation is more than just that. You see, it's about our relationship with the living God. He loves you. He loves me. And he wants you and me to love him back. Love can't be earned. It can only be given and received. That love was broken when our first parents sinned when they turned from God. Do you realize that every problem we face in life, the division we have between other us and other human beings, whether between wives and husbands, children and parents, brother and brother and sister and sister and brother and sister, neighbor and friend, with the problems that come from the creation itself, come from our alienation from that creation. And all of that, the divisions and that alienation, all of that resulted from the division between us and our Maker. If you want to fix other things, you have to fix that first primary relationship before anything else. The root of that division between us and God is that we didn't trust God and we believed a lie instead. That's made us everything that we are today. We are without excuse and guilty before God. But God loves us. And he wants a relationship with us. So he made a way. (laughs) He made a way 
to be right with him. Something we cannot do ourselves. We have to trust him. We have to trust him. We have to put our faith in what Christ Jesus did on that cross when he took our sins, when he died in our place. And yet if we do that, if we do that, we are justified freely by his grace. And that, that's good news. That's really good news. You know, the, the message of God's word can be summed up. One of the ways we could sum it up is by stating three things. First is the bad news. We're lost and undone and cannot help ourselves. The second is the good news. God has made a way for us to be saved through the work of Christ on the cross when he died in our place and paid for our sins. And it is ours by trusting in him. And the third thing is a question that we can ask. Knowing the good news and the bad news, what are you going to do about it? You know, if you haven't yet come to him, then you need to. If you still don't understand, if you have questions, then I'm inviting you to come and see me. I'll make the time to talk with him. Or go and talk with another person you know who's a genuine follower of Christ, and we can help you to know what God is saying to you and what he wants for you. I'm telling you, you are not here by mistake today. God brought you here today. You might have thought you were coming to please somebody else or, or to try out a new church or whatever it might be, but God had a purpose for you, and if you don't know him, he's saying, want that And then, if you have already come to him, then you need to rejoice. (laughs) You need to be really happy about that. You need to let that happiness and that joy uh, infect your entire soul and being. And you need to tell others so that they can have that same life, too. It's a simple thing today, right? Bad news. Without God, we're in trouble. Good news is he's made a way through Christ. And anyone can come to him and trust him. And now the decision is yours. What are you going to do? I know what I pray that you do with it. Well, I tried to be a little shorter message today because we're going to do something as Jim said really special. We, we baptize people typically in the summer we have a church picnic and baptism. We have some people that didn't want to wait that long and so 